from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Uh, I'll say the inflation number we get on Friday, which is the Fed's preferred inflation measure, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, X Food and Energy, also called CORE. It's been about 3.5% the last few months. Hopefully it'll stay there. Even though it's a high number, it's not getting any worse, uh, which is good to see. So that's actually the key data point. I did confirm that you know, the jobs report's being pushed out another week. Okay. So um, we don't get that until um, next week, October 8th. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan and Jeff here. So, Jeff, first things first. We had our fantasy football league, the LPL Research Fantasy Football League. You thrashed me. We're still friends, though, right? We're still friends uh, as long as you uh, don't bring up the crushing Kansas City loss yesterday. No promises. We'll start with this. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got literally on the YouTube channel, I've got the, the scene from Step Brothers where they got in a fight, beat each other up, and then they're sitting on the couch. They become best friends. You know, they're watching Shark Week. And do we just come best friends? So I got that. And the score as of last night, I've got 87.43. You've got 121.57. You potentially can get up to 150, though. I'm done. So if you go you go off tonight, you could, like, double me. <laughs> That's – um. Oh, that's only laugh worthy. But I do realize uh, as of before the game, apparently I'm in 10th place and you're in 11th. That's in a hundred person league, right? How many people are in our league? I forget. What is it? 12? Unfortunately, not many more than 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess hopefully people come to us for the market expertise. This is proof for the market expertise. Although, like you said, I'm just, I, I've got every running back I've got on the pup of the IR. We could go all day on that. Nonetheless, congratulations on a, Solid, solid victory. Hopefully, everybody else is having fun. I've got multiple teams. I got some good ones and some bad ones. It's kind of that's why we diversify, right? That's why a little stocks, little bonds, little gold, little cash, little this, little that, because you never know what's going to work and what doesn't work. And my LPL Research League, I'll just say, does not work. Anyway, so guys, we got a lot of stuff to discuss this week. So we're going to get serious here. Um, we're going to talk about the GDP, right? LPL Research just downgraded our view on uh, GDP in 2021, not by a lot, just by a little bit. We're going to dig in there. Also, we're going to talk about, was that it? <laughs> we had a scary pullback last week. I mean, it's all relative, only about 4.2% pullback. Then stocks bounce, right? Is that all we're going to see? Also going to dive into that Fed, what the Fed said. But honestly, it's kind of the reaction in yields that have our attention. Ten-year yield is just soaring higher. I'm going to talk, dig into that, what it means, how you can invest in a potentially higher trending yield world. And then finish things up with the scary month of October, 1929, 87, 2008, there's probably been some other ones in there, but those are the big ones. October's known for some spectacular crashes. Can we avoid that this time around? So, Jeff, uh, first one I guess we're going to start with is the 5% pullback, um, or no 5% pullback, I should say. The average year, and remember, there's no such thing as average. I've used this joke before, but maybe it's been a while on the podcast. There's a statistician put his head in a bucket of ice and his feet in the oven. He said, hey, how do you feel? He goes, well, on average... I feel pretty good. So again, no such thing as average, but the average year sees about three, 5% corrections. Jeff, we haven't had one for like a year. It was last October. We potentially avoided it again. My question to you, was that it? Are we just going to keep soaring to new highs again after a 4.2% correction? Oh, it's hard to say. Um, the 4% pullback felt, you know, <laughs> we felt it, <laughs> let's say, right? Because we haven't seen anything like that in a while. Um so 
could we get another one? Sure. Could it get a little bigger? Sure. We got a lot of risks out there. We know the Fed is going to taper mm-hmm. uh, unless we get a dramatic change in the economic environment. Uh, that'll start in December. Uh, we have a lot of you know potential uh, landmines in D.C. that we've got to get through or around. And so that'll be uh, you know a possible source of, um, of some volatility. And then you know we have the China situation, which you know we don't think is a huge global risk, but you know could it drive a five percent pullback before the end of the year? Yeah, probably could. Yeah, I think it's as simple as we've gone a long time without a five percent correction. We we could be due. Don't forget, late September, first part of October historically is a little bit of a troublesome area. After a hundred and four percent rally, maybe we could have a pullback now. You know, one of the things we're hearing a little bit more about is, like you said, the Washington drama. And two weeks ago, you and Barry did an excellent job on the podcast, um, I thought, discussing all the different political things that are swirling out there. So we don't need to get too into all the political things that are happening. But, you know, I'm hearing more and more about a potential, and maybe it's because media likes to drum this up, a potential government shutdown if both sides can't agree. That's still our, not our base case, but it's possible. You know, anything's po- hey, my Bengals are in first place and it's October, all right? Anything is possible. I mean, let's just get clear. Let's get that clear. But, you know, historically, Jeff, when you look at government shutdowns, stocks just do just fine. The last government shutdown we had was in late 2018, early 2019 for over a month. S&P gained like 10%. I just look back at some numbers I ran you know, years ago when all this was going on. The last six times now, the, the government has shut down back to the mid-90s. Stocks were higher every single time. Now, not every time of a lot, but it's almost as simple as, well, it gets the headlines if we get a shutdown. Um, but follow the fundamentals. Follow what really matters. I think this sounds like a broken record when it comes to policy in and, and, and Washington. Yeah, watch it. It's important. But the fundamentals are strong. That's what matters. And we're going to talk about fundamentals quite soon with GDP. Um, Jeff, anything else you want to kind of add on the idea of pullbacks or anything else I just kind of laid out there? Yeah, well, we're too early on the debt ceiling. But, you know, just like the government shutdown, the debt ceiling probably will not end up mattering to investors Mm -hmm. either. So just ignore the noise. Um, It's a political loser to play with fire. Um, we'll raise the debt ceiling and we will avoid a government shutdown. Or if we have a government shutdown, it'll be, it'll be quick and uh, probably pretty painless. Yeah. Almost kick the can, right? I mean, we've done that for a long time when it comes to raising the debt and continuing to spend money. And maybe that's uh, just going to be the way it continues to go. Um, you know, so one, I read a fascinating uh, stat over the weekend. I knew it was something like this, um, but okay. The S and P's pulled back like 4.2%, right? And small caps will pull back more. Some other areas pull back more. We know materials have bigger pullbacks. Energy had a big pullback, although it's coming back. If you look at the S and P 500, Jeff, more than 430 stocks in the S and P 500, which by the way, the S P 500 has like 504 or 505 stocks in it. Um, it's kind of like who's buried in Grant's tomb. It's actually a tad more than 500 still more than 430 stocks in the S and P 500 this year have seen at least a 10% correction. So, you know, again, it's it's as simple as some of the big companies that kind of skew the weightings a little bit. But to just say the market's gone straight up, if you've got a diversified portfolio, you felt some pain along the way. I mean, Monday wasn't, last Monday wasn't pretty. There have been some big pullbacks along the way. So it's, um you know, it's just a unique way to look at it. But we have had, you, know, you could argue, a market correction in <laughs> an awfully lot of stocks along the way um, as we head forward. But again, I think to put a bow on it, 
we're we've been pretty spoiled. We wouldn't be surprised if we had a vol quick five six percent correction. That's maybe here you go, Jeff. Here's one for you. Let's say we have a five or six percent correction. Could it turn quickly to a ten to twelve percent correction if we get something like that uh, later this year? How how deep do you think the cut could be? Yeah, in this environment, um, you know, even though on average we do get a ten percent correction every year, uh, I think that's unlikely, right? Yeah. Just you know, there's so much stimulus still, even though the Fed is starting to take away the punch bowl. Uh, there's so much liquidity out there, so much excess consumer savings. Interest rates are still low, even if they move a little bit higher. Yep. Um, this is a really strong economic environment too, even though we'll get to this in a minute. Not growing quite as strongly as maybe uh, some had thought a few months ago. Still very, very strong uh, economic growth. So th this is still um, you know, pretty solid bull market here and, um, you know, 10% probably a little bit unlikely here. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something we've been saying all year. We said, you know, you could have quick pullbacks, maybe a five, eight percenter, but with all the stimulus and kind of positives we're seeing, I mean, we're going to get there, but just a positive of, Hey, all of a sudden, don't look now cyclical value and small caps. They haven't just taken the baton back. They've ripped the baton back and now they're really starting to lead. That might what Mark Twain tell us, right? History doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes fourth quarter last year, late last year, we saw a higher trending yield with cyclicals and small cap leading. And that's something that we, we think history could repeat again, but we'll, we'll get to that uh, soon enough. So Jeff, next thing we want to talk about is the economic update. We did just lower our view on the GDP just by a hair, just 50 basis points. And the idea of a Z-shaped recovery. So I, when I hear Z, I think of World War Z with Brad Pitt. By the way, did you, did you see that movie by chance, Jeff? Uh, the zombie movie a few years ago with Brad Pitt? I, I did not. I'm not a big zombie movie guy. Yeah, Hard to disappoint you there. No, I, to be honest, I'm not either. I I I, I don't like I don't like superhero movies. I I can't stand. It. You like superhero movies, like all those Marvels that come out every time I turn around. You like those by chance? Uh, not really. Yeah, me um, either. Used to be. Yeah, more into that. Yeah, I just you know I I just like mindless action. You know, like the Expendables. I love those movies and Rambo. Anyway, whatever. Go on all day on that stuff. That's the stuff I like to turn my brain off for a little bit. Now that we're starting to travel again. Kind of fun. Download a movie on your phone and watch it on an airplane. And now I'm getting caught up on movies. Anyway, so I got a fun thing of Brad Pitt with World War Z because we're going to talk very soon about why this recovery could be a Z-shaped recovery. We've got all these crazy shapes out there. Um, so Jeff, again, our overall view we've laid out many times was 6.25% to 6.75% GDP in 2021. We said, hey, you know, I remember you and I said this a few months ago when we did our major outlook. We said, you know, we might be a little off here. It could be a little higher than that when all is said and done. But do not forget, four or five months ago, many of our peers and competitors were saying seven, eight. I think some of them even said 10% GDP. We didn't listen to the sirens. We didn't drink the Kool-Aid. We said, eh, probably won't be that strong. Now everyone's kind of lowering their targets closer to where we were. And we just gently lowered our GDP forecast this year to between 575 and 625. So let's just call it right about 6%. Jeff, tell me why 6% is not the end of the world GDP? Oh, still a really strong growth number. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, uh, you know, essentially 5% was as strong as we grew in any quarter during the last economic expansion. Um, and I, you know, you haven't really seen growth rates like this for a year uh, since the 80s. So, I mean, the, you know, yep. something around 6%, that is a really strong um, economic growth rate. So sure, it's coming down a little bit. It's really all COVID. Right, COVID's hitting in two ways. Um, you know, you have a little bit less demand, either people choosing to lower their demand or companies just not making that demand available. 
Um, and then you have supply, right? All these supply chain bottlenecks and uh, labor shortages, material shortages, all of these things that have really affected our daily lives. We've talked about it quite a bit uh, on this podcast, um, you know, over the last 15 months, probably. So, um, you know, all of that combined maybe is a half a point off of GDP, but you know, we could still grow 5% in the second half, which is still a really good growth rate. No, absolutely. I mentioned a week ago on the podcast, I woke up last Monday, cell phone totally dead. Right. So I had to go to Verizon, like literally half the cell phones at Verizon. You can't get them or you got to order them. They're just not there. I, I don't recall having that problem um, in, in the past. And, and then you hear last week, Nike said, hey, we can't sell shoes. It's not that we can't make them. It's because they're all sitting on 62, a record 62 boats over at uh, the L.A. port and the Long Beach port. And then, oh, by the way, once we finally get them off the, 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 um, the ships, we don't have enough truckers to get them where they got to go. I mean, this is like the real world stuff that we've been talking about. I know every one of you listening or watching on YouTube have, have experienced. And it's it's the idea of, you know, sticky inflation versus just, you know, temporary inflation. We can kind of get into some of that stuff in a little bit. But it's just real world that um is impacting the economy right here and now. But, Jeff, I guess the question we have is let's say some output is taking away. You know, let's say you maybe you don't go to Disney in October now because you're worried about COVID and some of the things going on. But maybe you just push it back. I mean, do you think that's going to be the case? Any output we lose this year, we just kind of make up next year. And it's just kind of, I don't know, a pushback, I guess, is what I'm trying to say there. Oh, absolutely. And then that's why we still think it makes sense to lean toward value stocks, mm -hmm. which are really uh, synonymous with recovery stocks, right? Th yeah. There's going to be another push. We're not fully opened yet. I mean, the labor market is is still, right. frankly, dysfunctional, <laughs> right? And, and COVID is really the, the reason why. Sounds um, like a New York uh, football team, the word dysfunctional. How about that? <laughs> Jets and Giants, both winless. I know we got a lot of friends listening from New York, but hey, a long time suffering Bengals fan. I just like to see anyone else suffering. It makes me feel better. I'll admit it. So anyway, yeah, that's dysfunctional. <laughs> just like just like investing. Uh, it's all about expectations. And mm -hmm. I suspect expectations over there were low, particularly for the uh, true for the Jets. Uh, so, um, you know, we need more labor supply. Right. We need to get mm -hmm. more people back to work to fill these jobs. You know, you highlighted the trucker jobs. Uh, but there's jobs, you know, all over um, our neighborhoods that, that companies sure. you know, of all types are having trouble uh, filling. So we need a more normal labor supply. And then, of course, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more that can happen to help the demand um, once COVID is more under control. So, um, you know, we might not get a booming job market this month, but uh, it's probably coming pretty soon where we're going to see uh, some big job numbers um, you also got, you know, kids back in school certainly um, certainly helps. And the we've talked a lot about this, the expiration of the unemployment benefits that should help provide more incentive for folks to get back to work as well. Hey, you mentioned the expiration of the unemployment benefits. Um, you know, clearly we know Washington's fairly divided, country's fairly divided, much as it's ever been. All 50 governors agreed to end those benefits. So that's clearly one place we we seem to agree that it was time to end those benefits and that likely could hopefully help the job market uh, come back, like you said. But Jeff, the final thing we want to talk about. So we lowered our GDP forecast just a tad. Still 6% GDP growth is is spectacular, honestly. Um, you know, a little bit lower than what everyone was expecting three, four months ago, but it, you know, it is what it is. Um, the idea of a Z-shaped recovery. This time a year ago, we were talking about W-shaped recoveries, square root-shaped recoveries, V-recoveries. 
Now we're talking about a Z-shaped recovery. Um, walk, walk the listeners through what exactly is a Z-shaped recovery and why could we be seeing it for the first time since the 70s right now? Yeah, it, it's kind of like the Z is on its side, mm-hmm. which maybe you could say is an N <laughs> yep. or an upside down. Now it's an, now it's an N-shaped recovery, guys. We just right. changed it on this podcast, yeah. I, th- I think <laughs> about half of the alphabet has been used thus far to, to right characterize the shape of this economic mm-hmm. recovery. Um, really all it is is that you know after the V-shaped recovery, the economy grows above its potential, which is what it's doing now. Um, we, we measure potential by just looking at essentially workforce growth and productivity growth, right? Very simple. It's really hard to drive a lot of productivity gains right now after you've already spent you know 15 months loading up on tech equipment. <laughs> right. And, you know, essentially up, uprooting businesses to get them to, uh, you know, fit in the COVID environment, work from home, stay at home and all of that. So that, you know, maybe you can get a percent and a half uh, productivity growth. Maybe you get a half a percent workforce growth. Two percent is really the potential mm. of this economy, given the demographic situation. But we're growing, you know, five, basically. So, you know, above potential, but we're probably going to go right back down below it over time or at least to it. Um, over time. Maybe that takes a year or two, but, you know, we're probably heading back towards that, you know, two, maybe two and a half percent growth rate that we got used to uh, during the last expansion. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's true. The the K-shaped recovery was the other one. That made sense. Remember, K goes two ways, right? Some people in this economy, as you just said, technology and some other areas did just fine. In fact, probably you could argue did better due to the terrible circumstances of the pandemic. Obviously, the other part of a K that goes down, that was a lot of other parts of the economy, services and manufacturing that struggled. But now, um, you know, there's definitely big recovery coming and a Z-shaped recovery. And, you know, so the key concept, again, let's say we grow 6% this year. Next year, we probably grow above trend if trends about two, two and a half percent. You know, we'll, we'll give you our forecasts in a, uh, in a couple months here. But, you know, we might see three, four percent growth next year and then eventually get back to trend, which makes a lot of sense. Jeff, going forward, uh, Fed talk. Jerome Powell. Um, didn't rock the boat, in my opinion. We spent some time last week talking about the Fed meeting. You could argue, I think, and make a good argument that it came off a little hawkish, actually, saying, listen, tapering is probably going to happen unless something bad happens with the economy. Going to announce it fairly soon, probably November, probably going to start tapering in December. Market took that as hawkish, yet stocks had um, a good bounce on Wednesday. And the first 1% gain in the S&P 500 in about two months on Thursday, after you had time to think about it. Remember, so many times you get the reaction, the opposite reaction, if you will, to a Fed meeting and you have time to think about it. Um, you know, We'll talk about yields in a second, because the big story to me is the action in the 10-year yield. But just going back to the Fed and the tapering maybe this year, anything um, that I missed or anything that struck you we should dig in on, Jeff, before we dig in on um, yields going higher? Well, maybe the most important takeaway for folks is that, you know, the Fed is tapering because the economy is is looking pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, if, if we weren't seeing the recovery that the Fed wants to see at this stage, then they wouldn't be removing accommodations. So I think that's probably the most important point for um, investors to keep in mind. And then also note, you know, that this dot plot, it's kind of in the weeds, but um, even though some uh, Fed officials think maybe we should get a rate hike in late 2022. It's almost certain to be early 2023 or later, given the need for um, some spacing between the end of tapering, in other words, the, the, the elimination of these asset purchases from the Fed and the start of, uh, of interest rate hikes. 
2023, we had a huge stock market gain. Bonds didn't do well. Yields went higher. Had a government shutdown. Had debt ceiling discussions. Sounds a little bit like 2020, um, you know, last I checked there. But Jeff, again, I think the big takeaway from the action last week, in my opinion, was the move higher in the 10-year yield. Honestly, yields across the board, but we always kind of focus on the 10-year yield. 10-year yield is having trouble getting above 138, 139-ish for about two months. Soared through. The time you and I are recording this, it's up to 150. And that was like 130 not that long ago. That's a pretty big move in yields. Um, the market is clearly, I think, saying, okay, you know, hey, better, better economy could be coming. And it could have been what the Fed said. And again, I think it's people, we understand what rates have been this low, some really unique things have happened, a lot of money sloshing around. Maybe it's just let's, let's say the economy is coming back and let's start the tapering process. Let's maybe start to raise rates somewhere down the future. Let's just get more to normalcy. And the stock market and the bond market are saying we kind of like that. And again, some of the pockets of the economy aren't great. We're fully aware of that. Um, but if you look at one of the manufacturing data pieces we saw last week, multi-month highs in future orders expected. Um, the leading economic indicators, one of our favorite economic indicators, has been very, very strong. Once again, retail sales can be better than expected. Economy's not perfect, not wearing rosy glasses here. Um, but still, there are some positives, just getting back to normalcy. So, Jeff, if you were to invest in a world where you think the yields are going to go higher, which we do, uh, where, where would you invest and in, in why? Oh, you got to start with financials, um, certainly the most interest rate sensitive. And if, um, you know, intermediate to long-term rates rise, they can earn more on their loans. Yep. I mean, plus it's a cyclical sector. So if the economy does better, uh, companies have more revenue opportunities. So I think that's probably where you start, but even higher level than that, you know, for folks, you know, using, um, you know, value funds and growth funds, you probably want to lean a little bit more value. Value tends to do better when you get a little bit more inflation, a little bit higher interest rates and a steeper yield curve, which is all of that is a positive economic signal uh, in our view. So, um, you know, your natural resources stocks, we think can do uh, fairly well in that kind of environment. Your industrials, we think can do well in that environment. And then on the other side, you know, might not want to be too heavy in the interest rate sensitive areas like your utilities and, and uh, real estate. Yeah, and obviously that's from the equity point of view, but from the bond point of view, if yields continue to go higher, that probably impacts bonds. Lawrence, friend of the show, Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist on the team, you know, he's pointed out, hey, we think you know higher yields are probably uh, still coming, and you know you want to lighten up a little bit in your bonds. You want to get too geeky for this podcast, but shorten up your duration. Don't be overweight long-term treasuries. Own some shorter duration bonds and things like mortgage-backed securities and bank loans are not as impacted by higher trending yields, which again is what we expect to happen, and uh, those. Those can be some pockets that we do like on the fixed income uh, side of things. So definitely an interesting conversation, but maybe Jeff, one final thing that we will move forward. Um, you know, small caps to me are kind of lumped in this cyclical, I don't know, small caps, you know, wherever they land, but I think they're kind of lumped in this cyclical world. If you look at the breakdown of small caps, financials make up like 20% of small caps. So financials go up, you probably have a tailwind for small caps. Small caps have gone sideways like all year, but they had a huge fourth quarter last year, record 24 or 25% gain for the Russell 2000 in the fourth quarter. Quarter. I think small caps have been consolidating all year, perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. Will history repeat? Could we see small caps take the baton along with cyclical value the next, uh, we'll call it the fourth quarter? I think the odds are good of that. Um, I mean, you say yourself, th these are economically sensitive companies, right? Yep. So when you get, I mean, that's why they did so well coming off the lows in spring of 2020. Uh, if you get a stronger economic growth environment that should in theory, um, encourage investors to take a little bit more risk. 
uh, and some of these companies with more operating leverage, right? So they can drive stronger revenue rebounds uh, coming out of a challenging economic environment, hopefully not have the costs go up as much as the revenues. Um, that should set the stage for, um, we think, maybe a little bit better small cap performance. We also like mid caps too. So right. leaning a little bit, just like we're leaning a little bit toward value in our asset allocation that we're recommending um, to our advisors, we're also recommending maybe a little bit of a tilt towards small caps and mid caps. Yeah, and obviously the last couple of months, that's been aggravating, right? Small caps, mid caps have struggled. Um, we'll call the last two or three months, came out gangbusters the first three or four months of this year. But hey, markets go up, markets take their time, they consolidate, but it sure looks like um, those groups want to take some leadership here. If that 10-year yield keeps going higher, that's probably how you want to have portfolios positioned. Oh, and look at that. I guess I did have a chart the whole time. Maybe, Neil, you can just put this in <laughs> of the 10-year yield breaking out above 139. So we can share that on the YouTube channel right now. But you can see the clear resistance level and yields have absolutely soared higher, um, which, again, is a tailwind for everything we just discussed. Now, Jeff, this is when you might want to go to mute or just turn off your camera. I, I hate, to, hate to do this to you, but... I'm showing now the Cincinnati Bengals in first place and the Kansas City Chiefs in last place. I'm fully aware this is a long season, but I will take whatever I can get as a long-suffering Bengals fan. We've just been stomped by so many teams. It felt good yesterday to beat Pittsburgh at their own game by playing tough defense, playing smart football. So I took it. Now, Jeff, I mean, we like to think we're forecasters. When anyone listen to this podcast knows when it comes to sports, I'm wrong every single time. So I won't even give my prediction of the Bengals. How's this? I think the Bengals are going to lose the rest of their games. Maybe I'm going to go this route. They're going to lose every single game the rest of the year. Maybe I'll jinx it the other way. Your Chiefs, though, I mean, one and two, you're not jumping off the bandwagon yet, right? Kind of like value. Where you, you want to jump, we don't want to jump off the bandwagon in the summer. We thought there's still time to come. What's your take on your Chiefs real fast? I, I was rooting for them and going to games before you were born. There you go. Yep. Young Mr. Dietrich. So <laughs> I am not getting off the train and uh, I still have faith that they'll, they'll get it going. I mean, a little bit of a fluky loss last week. So um, th this is definitely a wake up call. They got some work to do, but uh, they just got too much talent uh, to be, um, yep. you know, below 500 team. Yeah, speaking of fluky, I mean, how about that Tucker 66 yard field goal, all time record, and hits the upright and it bounces over? I don't know if you guys got a chance to see that yet, but that I wouldn't call that fluky. I mean, Tucker's probably the greatest kicker, you know, ever, but um, boy, oh boy, that was that was something else. Hit the hit the crossbar and make it through. Anyway, so Jeff, uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of end things um with the idea of October and how scary October can be. I'm gonna paraphrase the famous Mark Twain quote, friend of the show. I'd love to have him on the show sometime because if you look, he's all over the internet still. Um, <laughs> Mark Twain said something along the lines of the most um along the lines of the most dangerous month to speculate is October. The others are. February, September, December, August, you know, list all the months mixed up. You, you get the gist of it. And again, the, the, the re rationales, we've seen some spectacular crashes in October. Historically, October is right around uh, the corner. It's also my birthday month, which is coming up. Jeff, when's your birthday again? It's earlier in the year, right? When was your birthday? Yeah, April. Okay. So wow. Yeah. So, sell, yeah, so like, sell your birthday, buy my birthday. And historically, that's a good pattern, right? <laughs> that's right. You're onto something there. Yeah, I don't know. How about, how about that one? Anyway, so so the scary month of October is right around the corner. I'll just say this. October might be misunderstood. 
Because when we look back at market history, yes, 29, 87, 2008 are all there. And there's been some other rough Octobers. Um, but if you look, you know, since 1950, October is actually right in the middle of the pack. Honestly, if you look at the last 10 years, October has been one of the better performing months. Um, so I think it's just misunderstood. You know, and I was just playing with some numbers before we started. When you're up about 15% for the year, like, we're, well, we're going to hopefully be up more than 15% for the year heading into October. Last couple of times, October is actually still higher. So, Jeff, I mean, what could could spook markets. Let's go this route. If we don't think we're gonna have a major pullback, like we just said, um, you know, be quick if it happens. What What do you think could spook markets in October? First, let me say I hope October doesn't live up to its name of being the month where bear markets go to die. True, because that would mean we'd have a bear market <laughs> that ends in October, and I don't want a bear market yeah. right now. Yeah, we, we, had, we had a one month bear market back a year and a half ago. We don't need another one month bear market like no, that. Let's, we let's still not, look at the gray hair. Look, zoom in. You know, we all got some gray hair after dealing through that one. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, you know, there are a number of things that certainly could cause some volatility. Remember, I mean, these 5% pullbacks are normal. We usually get a few of them, and we haven't had one all year. Yep. Um, so, you know, the drama in Washington, it's coming with tax increases, most likely. Um, that could be a source of more volatility between now and the end of the year. Certainly have this China, you know, the troubled uh, real estate developer Evergrande, that situation. It's probably not going to be mm -hmm. uh, a contagion situation. You know, it's probably not going to look anything like Lehman Brothers. It's yeah. night and day different. Uh, but that certainly could be a source of volatility if markets start to worry about a, a more pronounced slowdown in economic growth in China. Um, so, you know, that's one. And then, you know, even though the Fed's telegraphed its move, when they actually start tapering, I mean, this, you know, you've seen charts that show the Fed's balance sheet against the S&P 500, right? The stock market pays attention, follows the Fed, uh, no doubt. And so if we do get a move higher in rates uh, as the Fed pulls back on stimulus, that could potentially drive some volatility. But these are probably, you know, three to five to seven percent kind of pullback things altogether. Um, you know, my best guess is not 10. Right. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it could, who knows? It could be something no one's talking about, right? That's probably what it is, what patents say, right? If everyone's talking about the same thing, somebody, or everybody's thinking about the same thing, somebody isn't thinking. Uh, you know, a month ago, nobody was expecting, I don't think, um, too much of a major catastrophe in Chinese real estate, but that's clearly what we're seeing. But again, the fallout seems to be contained. I think it could be as simple as in a couple of weeks, my wife and I are going on our 15-year anniversary down to the Dominican Republic, and it never fails, right? When we're, when we're away, that's when the volatility happens. So just be aware that from October 13th to October 17th, there could be a good deal of volatility because I will be away. Um, but I think the one thing that gets me, Jeff, that I still think is, is maybe a bigger issue than people give it credit for is U.S.-China relations. I mean, it's kind of one of those, it is what it is. They're about as low as it's ever been. Uh, you know, we're not really getting along with China. I mean, one of the things we thought when President Biden took over was some of those tariffs that he had on China, or that, sorry, the President Trump had on China. He'd start to remove them. He hadn't removed any, right? And there's actually talk of adding more. So the back and forth between the two superpowers, um, you know, that, that could be one thing that could upset things. I mean, don't forget, it was in early February of 2018 after a huge, I think it was 15 months in a row rally. So you could argue the market was ready for a break. Anyway, after President Trump won that election in 2016, he had a huge rally. 
Then the trade war started and we had a major, major, uh, major peak in February of 2018. It took a long time to get back above. So we'll see. I mean, it's not, you know, not our base case scenario, but I think the U.S.-China relations are one thing that worry me um, a little bit more, I guess, than the headlines might make it sound. So, Jeff, what um, we're, we're about at the end of the road. What are you on the lookout for this week? What could move markets? What should investors and listeners of the podcast, which, by the way, We've got a lot of listeners. We had a lot, of, a lot last week. So thank you very much. If you want to help us, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a positive review. It goes a long way. And like I said, this is our 151st, because <laughs> last week was 150, 151st LPL Market Signals podcast. What are you looking for this week, Jeff, that could um, shake things up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say that the goings on in Washington could shake things up because it's a little bit early. This, mm-hmm. what, what happens this week probably won't matter. Even if we get a government shutdown, it'll be short. Um, they're not going to default on the debt. I mean, the debt ceiling um, doesn't have to be addressed for at least a few more weeks uh, at this point. So uh, I'm going to say not Washington, D.C. Um, I'll, I'll say the inflation number we get on Friday, which is the Fed's preferred yep. inflation measure, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, X, Food and Energy, also called CORE. It's been about three and a half percent the last few months. Hopefully it'll stay there. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, even though it's a high number, it's not getting any worse, uh, which is good to see. So that's actually the key data point. I did confirm that, you know, the jobs reports being pushed out another week. Okay. So, um, we don't get that until, um, next week, October 8th. Got it. Okay. No, the good stuff there. And that's one other thing what the fed said on Wednesday, they actually lowered their GDP forecast for this year, 2021, increased their inflation expectations. None of that was really a surprise, though. It was more expected than not. But again, the, the PCE is the Fed's favorite look at inflation, and we'll get that on Friday, and we'll probably dive into that a little bit next week in the next podcast. So, Jeff, thanks as always for joining. Thanks to Neil, our producer. Neil told us he drove 1,900 miles with his family in his car. Um Last week, I said I drove five minutes with my kids yesterday and wanted to kill them all. So congratulations, Neil, for driving 1,900 miles with your family. I don't think I could pull that off. Uh, so anyway, everybody, have a great day. Uh, we'll be back next week in the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, 
Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.